So I'm very happy to to be here this morning to have this opportunity to share some reflections with you and for those of you who arrived a few days ago, a very warm welcome to you. I think the sense for me of being uh, happy to be here is not that it's an unusual experience in arriving in this uh, location, but uh, just the experience of being ill for a few days and uh, unable to come in earlier. There's a there's a real sense of the good fortune of just the situation that actually. That's what I'd like to speak about a little this morning. Uh, the the potency and the the benefits of reflecting on gratitude. And it's an interesting theme for some, I know, because it wasn't my experience, but I think a lot of people grow up with a sense of kind of having to be grateful, being somewhat forcibly pushed down one's throat, so to speak, um, in the way they may have been brought up in the sense of, you know, you have to be grateful for this and grateful for that and don't complain about all these horrible things because actually you're lucky you've got, you know, rice on your plate. And that kind of gratitude that's slightly, almost, uh, I wouldn't say punishing, but it doesn't really quite include the reality of the things we might not be grateful for. And that's not what I have in mind here. But when I come to a situation come into the hall like this to, to share some teachings is often and uh, therefore me just a sense of the, the gratitude for the, for the Buddha and having the chance to come and simply bow in a place where what the Buddha taught is being practiced to just bow down and really just take a moment to acknowledge the immense debt that I feel for this remarkable human being who if one reads stories of his life would seem he had some challenges and struggles too it wasn't all just uh, some glorious path of bliss leading to you know eternal light and uh, luminous freedom there was a few sort of challenging things along the way and the sense of that just that gratitude that I feel when I come and I wonder because I know that isn't something I always had the experience of and I wonder sometimes how it is to just reflect on that for us, to just just to acknowledge again that perhaps we have done many times and usefully and fruitfully many times, but just to stop again and you know the simple gratitudes of uh, a sunny day in England. It's just you know, really, to not to not miss the opportunity to feel how that affects the heart. So not just, great, it's about time we were due one. That sort of sense of, I was owed, so I don't really need to feel grateful. It just diminishes my sense of irritation at the amount of lack of sunny weather or something like that. It's sort of like paying off the debt. And uh, I think that's probably more the, the cultural framework that my family world involved. And so rather than being grateful for the things one received, it was more a sense of, well, at least it's not that bad now. 
Um, and it's an interesting position to look at things from. It's incredible how enjoyable it is to just feel a little bit ill compared to feeling really ill. <laughs> it's really remarkable. It's, it's, it's actually quite delicious. And, you know, the Buddha talked about how we find pleasure when the unpleasant just reduces. It's pleasurable for us. That the unpleasant just becomes less. It doesn't have to feel good. It just has to feel less bad and we like it. So this, this sense of how we position ourselves in relationship to experience is really important. And this, this place, this orientation of gratitude, to be grateful, to be full of greatness, one might imagine the word means. There's something very vast, there's something large, there's something expansive in what is being pointed to in this quality. And it's something which is Westerners, we often have a little hesitation around picking up as a, as a primary or central or even significant element of, of meditation or dharma practice. It's sort of like all that... Oh, devotional, ritualistic, you know, noisy sort of chanting and symbols and all of that that you find in kind of religious stuff. For some of us, it can be quite a, a turn-off. And, uh, and for myself, over the years, it, that was initially the case, but there was also a period of time where clearly turning to and expressing, finding forms to express that gratitude was something really important something that was quite essential in my own journey, to really land in that sense of not taking it for granted, the good fortune that we have here. Really not. Rather than, you know, it should have been at least this good already and it wasn't, so, you know, I'm entitled to feel still mildly irritated, but, you know, I'll take it, this improvement sort of thing. Rather than, wow, you know, this sunny day didn't have to happen at all. The whatever it was that laid me out for two days, didn't actually have to get better. There was a, a point in it where I did actually contemplate. And it was like, okay, so this isn't just a short one. I don't know how long it's going to be, but maybe it's going to be like this for a while. Maybe this is how it will be in the last moments of my consciousness. I wasn't anticipating dying of that particular condition, <laughs> but there was a sense of... but. But when I do come to that place, maybe it'll feel like this. And how am I going to be there? What am I going to meet that with? Rather than, you can't just wait for it to come to an end and that's it. Well, I guess you can, but um, I'm not sure that's where I would want to place myself in relationship to that experience. And, you know, really just just reflecting on that. It's simple material. I, I realised... Um, as I spent pretty much the whole night last night, sort of seemed like turning my lungs inside out into a handkerchief on regular occasions, that actually it's going to be a simple Dharma talk if, if one comes at all, because my mind isn't going to generate anything complicated um, after this. And yet it was very interesting to notice the quality of, of presence of heart that could be with that and with the prospect of showing up here and uh, you know having at least the intention to to offer something. And that, that sense of, okay, yeah, this is, this is tough. This isn't what I wish for. Some sleep would really be nice. And I actually got some eventually in the sort of 
the small hours. And this isn't to make you feel sorry for me. I'm actually quite enjoying the condition it evokes. Sometimes having little sleep means the mind just not only does it not generate useful, interesting Dharma talks, it also doesn't generate random, chaotic, misery thinking. It just, just sits there at the background going, I think I'll go to sleep soon. And that kind of the word-producing factory just sort of quietens down. And, uh, and, that, and again, the contemplating of gratitude in a situation like this. It wasn't entirely random, I guess, that I had those thoughts in the in the period of being unwell because that morning that I came in, I think, to Guy House before I got ill on Wednesday, I saw a friend who lives down the road in the delicatessen. I was just picking up a couple of things in the local town. I live in Ashburton. And and I was just struck. We didn't actually speak. There were a lot of people in there. She had her eyes down. Her husband had died of cancer earlier in the year after several years of struggle and her 13-year-old boy and her were, you know, obviously really quite affected by that. And it was just like being aware of this woman who I don't know that well, lives you know, a few hundred yards away, mostly had a chat to her when we, sometimes my wife and I would go for a meal at the local pub and we'd see them doing the same and just had a chat. Don't know much about them, but good people, felt had a good sense of heart and when I came back from from Guy House on Wednesday night, and I was already beginning to feel unwell, my wife came and told me there was some sad news, and it seems that morning, this friend who I'd seen um, the day before, so no, it was the next day, sorry, my mind's a bit confused here. It was a blurry day or two. So it was actually Thursday night, Catherine came and told me that she had this news, and the young boy, 13-year-old boy, had gone to wake up his mother that morning. She hadn't got up, and she was dead. It was gone. And in terms of kind of tragedy, it's just one among thousands and millions of tragedies. And the thought of a 13-year-old boy, you know, both his parents gone in the last three, four months. Just like that. And this with no warning, no illness, hospital treatment, preliminary getting ready for dealing with and finally coming to that point. It was just, in the morning, she's not there. And that sense of, yeah, wow, you know, how fortunate we are to still be here in whatever condition of difficulty or struggle we find ourselves. How fortunate we are to be here. Just notice what that's like for you. If, if it touches you, it may or may not be relevant. Obviously, for me, it's people I know and see, you know, around where I live. There are stories like this in every street, in every town, in every location around the planet. It's not exceptional. But sometimes when we're close enough to see it and to just kind of put ourselves in the place of, well, both the young boy and, and actually his mother who I can't imagine would have wanted to leave him alone at this time and yet didn't have any choice about that. And just, just feeling that, oh wow, both the poignancy of you know how difficult life can be and how we could say fortunate we are even in the difficulties that we have this this opportunity to look at 
what's actually happening here? To really let ourselves be touched by the reality of human existence. The fragility of human existence and the incredible preciousness of human existence, which we we can sense and feel so clearly in reflecting on a a situation of its loss. It's suddenly that precious thing that for this young man he would have called, I guess, mum. It's gone. He's left with the memories. And just the preciousness. We see it. It's so clear, isn't it? We don't have to think about that or contemplate precious human birth. It's like, wow, yeah. And our own circumstances around that may have resonances, may be very different, completely different from that. And yet there's something about, for all of us, that just having our relative good health, relative good health, I say, not perfect health, few of us have that for very long. And the Buddha spoke about how fortunate we are to have relatively good health to be able to practice how hard it is when the mind is having to deal with with sickness, with illness, with injury and some of you here are practicing with such things and they may feel like extreme obstacles and challenges and it's true, they are and yet so long as there is this conscious capacity we have to meet to know, to open to so long as this is still with us there is a potential here for freedom, for awakening, for using the, the raw material of our human existence to contribute to the transformation of our life and the transformation of our world and all the beings in it. And just that, that allowing in, that letting oneself be touched by what's not as I would wish it to be. From that place, it's it's not really felt or seen as an obstacle. It's more like it highlights all the things that are the supports, all the things that aren't the obstacles. If one can see that more clearly, you know, this fact that we have this body, heart and mind in relatively good functioning manner, sometimes the mind gets a bit loose and doesn't hold on to things so easily. Sometimes it's hard to remember whether I had a conversation two days ago or three days ago. Sometimes I can't even remember who I talked to or what was said, but I know something happened. We recognize that sometimes. Or the body, when it's not well or just tired, doesn't have as much energy as it used to when young and eagerly able to run about, it seemed, or at least mine was. It still is occasionally. And yet there can be a, in the gratitude, a real love for it in its limitedness. A real appreciation and gratitude for, again, the good fortune that one has the opportunity even to watch the slow loss of what one has. That we have the opportunity to be present for that and to that. To, to know in our hearts what we love before we lose it. Actually, it's a gift. We will lose it all eventually. But to know in our hearts what we love of it, what we love in it and through it, that, that's actually a blessing. 
So there's this opportunity here to to listen to the Dharma teachings, to practice the Dharma. And the Buddha said, you know, to really reflect on our good fortune here. So many things can happen. That means even this retreat might not complete and be what we have imagined already and planned out our one week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks of practice or six weeks or eight weeks or twelve weeks. And we never know if a phone call will come that says, actually, you're needed now. It can happen. And the retreat, as it was, is over. And life takes a new shape or something arrives in the body or the mind that says, actually, you can't do this anymore. It happens. It's not that it happens to everyone all the time, but it happens. And the fact that it hasn't happened up till now for us, for you here, something one can actually say, oh, thank you. How fortunate. Like something about not taking for granted what we have here. And so just reflecting on that, you know, the, the things that support us. What is it that allows us to be here? To be consciously and wholeheartedly engaged in this in this journey of awakening, in this unfolding, this deepening, this flowering of the human heart's potential for wisdom, for compassion, for freedom. And all the different ways that we might explore that all the different practices we might bring to bear. And just seeing what supports that, just the, you know, we have the resources that have allowed us to be here. Or the support that's been extended from others, friends, family, partners, from other retreatants who've given support to the funds that subsidise costs of retreats. At that level, the material support is the building and the ground, the earth. So fortunate, the beauty of the nature here. And on a day like today, again, we can perhaps be struck by how rich it is to have this around. And it's curious. One of the things that's reported again and again, and what's so much treasured here, is the, the beautiful natural environment. The gardens, the grounds, the hills. And just again allowing ourselves to be touched by those things. Allowing them to, to speak to us. And noticing the inner supports we have and the, equally the supports of people around us. Practitioners here. Do we ever stop and take a moment and just reflect how fortunate we are that there are other people here doing this together with us for all the challenges at time? we might encounter how much harder it could be and would be if we were here on a room all by ourselves for several weeks with no one to remind us of what we're doing here just by simply the fact that they're doing it too. And the inner, the inner support of our intention, our motivation, such a beautiful thing. Many people have opportunity to hear the Dharma and don't go to listen. Many people have the opportunity to practice the Dharma. And don't take it. Something else calls in a way that somehow becomes what happens. 
Do you see what a precious and beautiful thing it is, that within you that comes, that brings you here? Not just to Guy House physically, having carved out the time from your no doubt full and probably busy lives, but that brings you to sit on the cushion that takes you out onto the lawn to walk back and forth or to stand still or to just remember when it comes to lunchtime that actually, yes, I can be present here too and eat this food mindfully and maybe with appreciation as well. Do we really honour that fully? Because it doesn't arise in many, many people, it seems. One can't know, of course, not knowing what goes on inside their hearts and minds. But if one looks at what happens in the world, the number of people who will do something like this as a percentage or a proportion of the total, ever, who will probably even spend one day in silence, let alone a week or a month, it's a tiny, tiny fragment. Tiny, tiny fraction of humanity. And again, how fortunate we are that that within us that recognised, that had the wisdom, the clarity, the goodness of heart to see, recognise something here, available for us, available for everyone, but only if we can see it, that it's here. How, how remarkable, how, again, fortunate. A certain importance, really, to be able to fully and deeply honour with gratitude one's own practice, one's own aspiration, one's own integrity and... Uh, engagement that brings you here that keeps you here that sustains you it's easy to notice all the places we could have done a bit better practiced a bit harder gone a little deeper pushed a bit further and it's useful to be aware if we're not giving ourselves wholeheartedly for sure but in another way in another way Really let your heart receive the nourishment of what you are giving. Equally as you might notice where it might be possible to extend yourself. There's a phrase I remember encountering when, encountering when I was first sort of studying the, the Pali texts, the first recorded sort of teachings of the Buddha and the translations that were made in the old sort of, well, the sort of Victorian scholars of the early 20th, late 19th century, some of the phrases that really stuck with me. Um, but one of them was this phrase that talked about a practitioner, particularly a monk or a nun, being worthy of their alms food. And it's an interesting phrase. This came to mind when I was reflecting here, the sense of living on the, the freely given donations and offerings of others, mostly poor people who give their their rice or their vegetable or sometimes their, their, you know, their, their fish or meat, important protein food for them. In poor countries, they offer them freely to the nuns and to the monks who depend on that generosity in order to live, in order to be able to practice. And a sense of just not taking that for granted that that phrase evokes. It's like, wow, people have given me this, have given me my sustenance. Let me really make good use of the opportunity for practice that affords me. That's what it means. I don't have to go for a monk or a nun not having to go out and work to make the money or to produce the food. So therefore having that time and energy and resource freed up to practice. 
And in whatever way here for ourselves, we too have been able to find ourselves in a situation where right now we don't have to produce those requisites, those basics, through the good fortune of support, which includes our own work and capacity to work, that's allowed us to have some time where we don't have to. That's that sense of... So it's not worthy in terms of being unworthy or some worthiness issue, that phrase. That's why it's a little funny, the language. But to be worthy of one's alms food. It's like honouring the support that we give, that we're given, by the wholeheartedness of how we engage in practice. Something about honouring. What is supporting us here? And I think, you know, here about the coordinators who come and live and work for a year or two years, some of them, and work really hard to take care of so many of the things that one just doesn't have to deal with as a retreatant. And that sense of what they give, and not for money or for payment, but out of a love and a wish to serve and support the practice. And sure, it hopefully serves their well-being as well. That's important too. But there's the sense of the, the sort of the way we practice here together and, and the fullness here, it honors the service that they give. And it honours equally the service given by by the generations of women and men like ourselves who've practised, who've, who've carried and shared and transmitted these teachings as a, as a living transmission through the generations from the Buddha to this day and from which in this living generation it will continue to flow and is flowing to the next. When I, when I think, when I reflect on that, well, again, I notice there's an uplifted quality of heart, a certain expanded quality of heart. And I don't think it's just because mine's a bit sort of fuzzy from the, the coldy, fluey thing going on and the fact that something about all that coughing kind of stretches the, the chest out a bit. Um, it might be. I don't know. I've only got my experience. Um, but just that sense of Oh yeah, there's a support here. There's a, there's a lovely way in which it brings a very honoured, honouring humility also. A sense of, oh you know, it's, it's not just about me, what's going on here. And we know it's not just about me. If anyone asks us, we'd say, no, no, it's not all about me. And yet, there's sometimes that place which gets a little bit caught in with, you know, how far have I gotten, have I attained sufficient sort of, concentration or depth of insight or have I deepened enough in loving kindness and shouldn't I really have got a little bit further down the track by now given you know all that I've done and that the way in which we can be a little bit less than fully honoring of ourselves and at the same time it has has with it a certain uh, it's not a real humility because it's sort of as if but I should have been doing better or I expect to have somehow got further which is actually coming out of some some form of conceit generally, some idea of being more than where we are. And just a simple accepting, oh, this is where I am in my practice. And actually this is the only place from which my practice, your practice, each of our practice, this is the only place from which it unfolds. So this is the place to honour, to be. And yet to see that, you know, we give ourselves wholeheartedly to it, but being able to do so free of investment in an outcome, free of demand for a result, because 
it depends, is influenced by, supported by, and challenged by so many other things. I remember once on one of the uh, solitary months, I just recalled this. Um, I'm not sure if I should tell this story, but uh, yeah, it's fine. Um, on one of the early November solitary retreats that we, were, when we were first running these, you know, 20 years ago or so. Um, it was in the old guy house, a couple, three, four miles away across the valley, and there were only f- 15 rooms, so 15 people. But one night, um, you know, halfway into the retreat or so, one of the staff, in a fit of uh, um, abundance and generosity, bought a bunch of little Cadbury chocolate bars. Now, it's not particularly high-quality chocolate, but there was enough for one each, and they were put out at 9.30 in the evening. And these... You know, retreatants, their eyes just lit. Well, I wasn't sure if I should tell you is because it's probably not going to happen here. <laughs> and I'm not trying to suggest it should. But what was really interesting is, you know, I wasn't there to see it, but we heard from the retreatants the next day, you know, how much the sense of that, just that little sense of something being offered, that sense of support, gave so much uplift. So much, wow, and, you know, stories of people sitting into the small hours of the night just filled with, you know, dedication. And, I guess, and it can't have been the sugar running that long. You know, the sugar would have got you to midnight probably. But someone practicing to one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, just really, yeah. And what was kind of funny was that um, the thought was, oh, that's great, let's give them one every night. <laughs> and we tried that and it didn't work at all. Because as soon as it was expected, it was just, you know, second supper. So we stopped doing that. We were still learning how things worked, I guess. So it's like that sense of having not taken for granted. When we start to take the support for granted, it doesn't give us that support in terms of the inspiration, in terms of that quality of uplift, of motivating, of energizing, of, of really saying, yeah, let's, let's go, let's do this. Let's wake up here together. We can. We are. It's kind of curious for myself to be speaking on this theme. It's not one that probably I would have thought about in most situations coming into the middle of a month-long retreat and teaching about this sort of topic. Because it doesn't seem at first glance to have to do with the, the deepening of the meditative process. And yet, of course, it is. Well, I hope it is, or else. <laughs> um, if it's not, then uh, so it is, I guess. But uh, there's something useful about allowing oneself to trust in what comes forth, what comes through us. And in a way, that's one of the elements when I. When I come and I mentioned how I like to bow before I give a talk, there's a way in which for me there's an attempt to just connect with something that I relate to the image of the Buddha because that's a representation of something that came through this human being two and a half thousand years ago. It was his in the way it came, in the way it was shaped and flavoured and the remarkable refinement and precision and detail that he articulated over his 
45 years of teaching. And yet, in another way, it wasn't his at all. It was, and he even talked about it. I've rediscovered this ancient path. It's like it came through him or he re-entered it and made it conscious fully and available again. Put up a few signposts and said, this way. And yet for each of us too, it's something that's coming through us. It is already doing that. We wouldn't be here if that wasn't so. And so it's not done by us, ultimately. And yet it's not done without us either. It's not being done to us or for us. Not at all. And so what's that like to just let things come through here? To let the experiences that are arising just come through. They may be sweet at times, exalted, delicious. They might be tender or challenging or sometimes frightening. They may be just remarkably ordinary and ordinary again and again. But whatever they are, this is the raw material of our waking up. And the, the knowing of this, that capacity itself for the knowing, for the seeing, for the being, this space through which life moves, for being this could say channel through which the Dharma flows. This is something it seems to me we can be immensely, appropriately and profoundly grateful for. And so in terms of going with what I felt moved to talk about, there's a piece which might even be more surprising than me having picked this theme, which is that there's a chant I'd like to share with you. Some of you knowing me will know why that might be surprising. Fortunately, I have a cold to blame the condition of my voice on on this occasion. I don't normally have that particular privilege. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. Some of you may not want to chant at all, and you're very welcome to just listen. I encourage you not to just leave, if that's your first impulse. It's a chant from the community of the Amrawati Sangha, the lineage of Ajahn Chah, the uh, mostly Western disciples in Western monasteries that came from the Thai forest tradition, which I feel a lot of connection and resonance with, and uh, some of my most important teachers and teachings have come through that teaching and practice tradition. And it's a, a chant which I have the English translation of. It's based on very ancient chanting practices that uh, have been followed in the, in the forests of Southeast Asia for thousands of years. And uh, the essential refrain is one that for me is the, the natural expression of becoming coming into contact with the sense of gratitude, of appreciation, of really honouring the goodness of what's here, the goodness of this practice and the goodness of this being, each of these beings, all of our being engaged in it, is the sense of both acknowledging that goodness and the sense of it being something shared. It's something we share with each other. 
And the essential refrain of the, uh, the chant is... Uh, I'm not going to chant it. I'm just going to give you a few of the phrases. And then I'll, um, for those who wish, give you a copy of it. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may all beings share in the blessings of my life. Through, all, through the goodness that arises from my practice. May darkness and delusion be dispelled. And there's quite a few more lines to it. For me, the very words of it actually speak to me. Um, but what I'll do at this point is pass this out, and then I'm going to lead you in the chant. If anyone knows this chant and wishes to sing louder than me, you'll be very welcome and appreciated by everyone else, I'm sure. But um, it's not about the musicality here. So, maybe if I just um, make this into about four or so heaps and we pass it back, I'm going to just pass it that way. We pass this slot from the front. just an explanation of how the chant works it pretty much stays on a single note um, for those of you who really actually understand what that means um, which I'm not quite sure myself um, but it goes up one note where the arrow is pointing up above a syllable and it goes down one note where the note is pointing down the arrow is pointing down and if it's an extended a flat piece it means hold that syllable a bit longer so um, if it's a, a long pointing down one, it means down and hold. Does that make sense? Don't worry if you just want to listen or if you just want to um, even speak the words rather than chant. Does anyone know it here? One or two people have done it. Okay. So the, the, first, par the first sentence is actually the, the call, which I'll extend, and then we can begin. Just give you a sense of the, the cadence of the first line approximately. It's something like, through the goodness that arises from my practice. That's not the tune, that's the speed. 
um, you'll find the tune yourself. So, now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, may the highest gods and evil forces Celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth may I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom austerity and vigor May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed as the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord, the Sangha is my supreme support <coughs> through the supreme power of all these. May darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for chanting together. Let's just sit a few moments quietly and then I'll ring the bell. You're very welcome to keep these.
So through the goodness that arises from our practice, may all beings share in the blessing of our lives. And through this goodness that arises from our practice, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. May peace and freedom kindness and well-being and goodness of heart come to be our resting place. Mm-hmm.